This is the Kineo Equipping Podcast. get started here with uh, week three of Gospel-Centered Parenting, and my wife and I are excited to be here with you all. I'm going to let her kind of introduce us and what we do and a little bit about our kids. Yeah, we have five sweet kiddos. Our oldest is 10, 10, 8, 6, 5, and two and a half. Um, This is the longest we've been like, or the oldest a baby has been in our house. Like he's potty trained. I have no more diapers right now. So I stay home with them, and Matt is on staff here. You're an elder. Um... I don't know. You'll hear a lot about us throughout the morning, so that's probably good for now. Yeah, uh, we're excited to be here. Here's the thing. I think you've heard this probably from every couple that's been up here, and you're going to hear it in the future, is I think we feel this tension of we want to share knowledge and experience with you, yet we also feel like we're by no means perfect parents. Right? So there's kind of this tension of we're excited to be here, yet we don't want you to think that we have all the answers. And so just to even highlight that, we thought we'd, we'd just kind of Uh, share a few things this morning, and these are called things that have come out of our mouths that we never thought would ever come out of our mouths, okay, as parents. We have music on, babe. Nice. So this is amazing. I'm sure you guys all have a pocket full of these, but like, and I couldn't even think of my best ones. Yeah, so we just kind of break. these are a few of them. These are things that I never thought I'd say, and uh, the first one is take that plastic bag off your brother's head right now. Sweet. And I don't even don't remember that. Never one, put it back on. We're, we're talking like did a Did you say that bag. or did yes, I? Yes, okay. I said that. Awesome. I said that. Um, the second one just happened the other day. I was like, do not throw rocks out the window. Or that, your sister. Or your sister. <laughs> like, those are common sense. You shouldn't things. have to say that stuff. So, no, you, you had a conversation about a shower and orgasm. Oh, yes. Okay. So this was the best one I could think of. I was laying in, uh, putting an older kiddo to bed, and I was like, buddy, when's the last time you showered? And he was like, ah. Like probably over a week ago, mom. And I literally just had the conversation of like, if it if you didn't shower yesterday, you should probably think, did I shower the day before that? And if the answer is no, you need to shower. And I was like, buddy, I just told you this. And he's like, oh, I just can't remember things that aren't important, mom. <laughs> and I was like, buddy, you just folded a 95,000 step peacock. Like you can remember 95 steps in an origami piece. And he's like, those things are important, mom. <laughs> Couple other things. I've said this numerous times with multiple kids. Like, ouch! Quit biting me. Yes. I mean, biting is the worst. I'm afraid of biting. Did, did you really just bite? Oh, this last one's good. Did Maybe you really just bite me. that one? Uh, this one happened. I don't know a couple months ago, but I, I all of a sudden found myself saying, "You cannot poop in the yard." <laughs> the next part's the best because he literally. A couple seconds later, it's like, you're already halfway done. You might as well finish. You just might as well finish. <laughs> I have a vague memory of this. It was a potty training kid, so give us a little grace there. But I literally picked it up with a target bag, like you do with your dog. I was like, eh, that's not so bad. Yep. So uh, sometimes, honestly, we're, we're just left speechless. Like, I don't even have words. I feel like we do that more right now, now than we did before. We used to like, try to fix it, and now it's just like, wow, that's incredible. Yesterday morning, can I share this yeah. one? It was like 25 degrees, and my two-and-a-half-year-old comes down doesn't say anything. He opens the sliding door, walks out on the back patio, and starts unzipping his pajamas. I'm like, he's going to pee outside. I'm like, why would you wait until today to try this? And I just literally, I just, I was like, I got to see if this really happens. It did. He peed off the porch in 25 degree weather, which was great. So, well, guys, here's the thing. Uh, We collectively in this room are by no means perfect parents, right? Uh, but the cool thing is, is that I think every single person in this room has a desire, otherwise you wouldn't be here, of being a better parent. And the responsibility, whether you have a kid on the way or whether you have one child or whether you have more than that, of being the ambassadors that God has called us to be to our kids is a weighty and important thing. And so I love the fact that we can gather this morning and just talk about that and acknowledge that. And so... Um, I hope that over the course of the last couple of weeks and the next few weeks, you're going to be reading this content. You're going to be answering some of these questions. You're going to be having discussion at your tables and maybe gaining a piece of insight or knowledge or something that helps you be a better parent. But I think what this book and this class has done for me and probably will do for me in the future more than anything is just reorient my thinking in a lot of regards. And I think that's going to be the case this morning as well. And so I don't know if you're going to walk out of here with like 10 tips to be a better parent, 
But I hope that as we dive into the topics of identity and mercy, that maybe some of the things you thought or some of the ideas that drive your behavior start to change. Because if we can get this right as parents, the overflow from that is gonna be incredible. But if we can't get this right as parents, all the tips, all the tactics, all the tricks, all the how-tos, the five steps, aren't gonna matter. And so I'm excited to dive into this content with you this morning. And before we do that, I wanna just stop and pray. I'll pray for us, babe. Can I pray for us? Go for it. You were gonna pray, but I don't pray. All right, God, just thank you for this morning. Um, Matt and I went to bed last night just feeling a little disjointed about what this was gonna be like and what we were gonna say. Um, and just woke up this morning just feeling a little anxious about it and just thought to myself, like, why do I feel anxious? Am I worried that we're going to look bad? But I just, I fear, God, that I just will lose an opportunity of a room full of parents um, that just so desire to raise their kids well and to just honor you with that, Lord. And I just pray that this would just be an hour full of just life and just moving forward and just hearing from you about what it would look like to just secure our identity where it should be, um, just to realize our need for mercy from you and just that would overflow in the life of our kids. Lord, I just pray that you would give us clarity on what to say and just um, as we sit and listen to what you have to tell us uh, through this book and through your word, Lord, that we would just be changed. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. So there's so many good quotes in this book. Um, and like I said, I want this to maybe be foundational and maybe reorienting for some of you in this room this morning. And this first quote, if you're not resting as a parent in your identity in Christ, you will look for identity in your children. Your parenting is always shaped by where you look for identity. And kind of just next principle, where you look for your identity matters. And really, you can look for your identity one of two ways. You can look for it vertically or you can look for it horizontally. And we'll expand this and unpack this here in a little bit, but you want to talk about a passage that I think has impacted you over the last several months, years, and kind of just kind of giving you a picture of, of what it looks like to ground yourself in the Lord versus something else. Yeah, you're throwing me off already, babe. I, wasn't, I was lost in where we were. This is good. So I, I just, I mean, over lots of seasons of transition, I have felt, I think as a lot of moms do, like you're just being blown all over the place. You're up and you're down, you're here and you're there and you just don't feel secure. And I think God gave me this passage um, and everyone else who has a Bible, uh, Jeremiah 17. And so we're just gonna look through that. We're not gonna teach it. We're just gonna kind of use it to kind of ground what we're talking about this morning. Um, so open to Jeremiah 17. It's not the easiest scripture to find. It's kind of like halfway through. Jeremiah 17 and it's... Um, chapter five, or verse five, and do you want to read it for us, babe? Yeah, I'll read it you for you. Do you have it? Yep. And maybe give him a second to get there. Yep. Jeremiah, I think it's 17 verses five through nine, and as you guys listen to it, I just want you to, it, it's super easy. Uh, it helps us compare two different types of people. So as you read it, you're thinking, what are the characteristics of the two different types of people that are being compared in that passage? So did I buy him? Yeah, so it's actually five through eight, and it says this, thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He's like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He's like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when he comes for its leaves remain green. And it's not anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit. Okay, so we're going to send you to your table for a couple minutes. Um, and just kind of thinking this morning about our, a lot of our morning is talking about where is our identity at. Um, so I want you at your tables to real quickly, we're going to give you like two minutes. So there's two different types of people that the scripture is comparing. It's those who trust in, what does it say? Man. And who's the other one it's comparing it to? So who those who trust in the Lord. So characteristics of the person who trusts in man versus characteristics of those who trust in the Lord. So take a couple minutes at your table, same out loud maybe with each other and just kind of come up with those two lists. Maybe one person write them down. That'd be awesome. All right, go.
All right, friends. You might not be done. That's okay. So let's start with let's start with characteristics of he who trusts in man. So what do you see is true about the person according to that scripture about the one that trusts in man? Shout him out. Say it again. Trust own strength. strength. Good. He trusts in his own strength. Yeah, so trust in material things, trust in his own strength. Yeah. What are some other kind of characteristics of that particular passage just comes out and flat out says? Cursed. Not a fun place to be. Okay. What else? Be lonely. Yeah. Yes. What else do you see? No hope for the future. What does it compare him to? Like, what, who, what is he like? He's not a tree planted. He's a what? A shrub, a shrub. or a bush in the desert. That yes. sounds not very appealing, right? It's like, that's what I want to be. And in my head, this is why I, this scripture was appealing to me, is because what does a shrub do in the desert? It dries up, and it's like blowing all over the place. Um, what grows in the desert? This was a thought, a thought I had last night as we were going through this. Does much grow in the desert? Is there much fruit? No. Cacti. Cacti. Prickly cacti. Man, I could just relate this to parenting so much. Okay, let's do uh, the Lord. So the one who trusts in the Lord. Characteristics. Slow to anger. Good. Blessed. Yep. Opposite of cursed. Not Blessed. a bush, but a tree strong and rooted roots go out yes there's fruit they bear fruit when do they bear fruit too like it's even specific not only in like flourishing rainy seasons it bears fruit even in the doesn't it say even in the driest of seasons yep anything else am i missing anything babe not anxious not anxious Confidence and strength is not in man, but in the Lord. Oh, yep, strength in the Lord. So it's pretty clear that when you look at this, it's like, I, I don't want to be the kind of man or the kind of woman on this side, but instead I want to be the person who is slow to anger, who is blessed, who is like a tree, who is strong and rooted, who bears fruit, not only when we should, when it's the rainy season, but also during harder times, who's not anxious and ultimately who doesn't find their strength from what I can do or what I've done, but from the Lord. And and that just paints, I think, a great picture for life in general, but also for us as parents. And so you can even move forward off of this passage and just realize that post-Christ on earth, we can find our identity, like we said, either horizontally in created things, in people, in our status, in our achievements, in our accomplishments, et cetera, et cetera, or we can find it vertically in the Lord. And it's like, oh, that, that's great, but how do I know? Well, there, there's some attributes there that I think you can look at your life and maybe see, do I tend to be more like this or more like this? But I think a way to answer this question as far as where do you place your identity is just simply ask yourself, what or who do you look to to find your sense of worth, to find your sense of value, your purpose, your security, your confidence? And if you were talking to somebody or maybe even yourself about why you matter and or why you're worth something or have value, would it be on things that you've done or would it be on something else? And so you have to ask yourself, where do you find your identity? And guys, here's the thing is, if you get nothing right when it comes to tips and tricks of parenting, but you get this part right, there's gonna be an overflow into your parenting, which will be good. But if you memorize all kinds of parenting tips and hacks and tricks and five steps to be a better mom or dad, but this is not right, this is not correct, I don't want to say it's a waste of time, but it's kind of a waste of time because your parenting will directly overflow from this reality. And so we do ultimately want to put our identity in Christ. And Paul David Tripp has a great quote that you heard on a podcast. You want to 
Oh, I don't know if we can go there yet. You want to talk about there? antinatal amnesia, right? Sure, yeah. That's from the book. Okay. Yeah. So okay. we, so I, I, I went to the scripture and I was like, I am the rooted tree. I'm a believer. Like God has shown me I am that rooted tree that sends roots out to the stream. But why do I feel like this blowing bush? You know, like why do I feel like I'm up and I'm down and I'm left and I'm right? Um, and I think that he talked about, I mean, if you've read it, um, he gave us the phrase identity amnesia because we forget. We forget where our identity is. Um, and he says that identity amnesia will eventually lead to identity replacement. So you can't just not know where your identity is. It will be put into something. And it can be put several different places. But today, um, we want to focus on, you know, if your identity isn't in Christ, you may try to find your identity in your children and raising your children. Um, and when we first read through this chapter, I wasn't necessarily thinking, I don't know if I I kind of thought, I don't know if I put my identity in my kids, but he gave these one, two, three, four, five points. We're going to put them up on the screen. We're going to send you to your tables in a minute here um, about this might be what it look like. looks like. If you're doing these things, you may be putting some of your identity in your children. Um, do you want to read through these or just send them? Go for it. So I'll explain these. I mean, it's in your book. So if, if you read it, you, you'll, you'll understand this. But the first one is just too much focus on success. And so you're being too focused and obsessed with the achievements of your kids, like a five-year-old, a 10-year-old, a 15-year-old, like you're obsessing over those. And if you've ever gone to like a child sporting event, you've probably seen this, right? The second one is too much concern about reputation. So you're relying on your kids to build your reputation. Another way this maybe looks is like you're trying to live through the life of your kids. Next one, too great a desire for control. So you're controlling situations, locations, people, so you look good as a parent. So you can shape and mold your kids exactly how you think will reflect positively on you. The next one, too much emphasis on doing rather than being. And so focusing on your child's success and what they do and don't do versus their redemption in Christ. Small picture versus big picture. And last one, too much of a temptation to make it personal. And so taking personal offense to your child's behavior. So I, I want you guys, here, here's the thing. Even if you have your identity in Christ, like Paul David Tripp said, we can still have identity amnesia and still lean towards some of these things. So, so spend some time at your table now just talking like, which one of those five do I maybe tend to lean towards at times? Give you about five minutes to do that and we'll bring it back together. All right, let's uh, bring it back together. I think if you're anything like us, you might think you're doing fairly good in this regard, and then you read some of the, the things that you might be focusing on. You're like, gosh, this, this is pretty helpful to have these things pointed out. So I'll let you kind of share just a couple examples or what this looks like for you. Yeah, I'm sure you guys had a great example at the table. I could list so many of them. And we talked a little bit about... Like, as soon as you think you're like, I got this thing figured out, man. Like, this is really, I'm doing really great here. It's like, boom, God throws your kid on the floor in the middle of the pool or something. Like, throwing fit. It just does not let you stay very long in this. You know, it's a good season to be like, oh, a little breather here before you just go back to your knees. Like, I just think he just continually drives you back to your knees of like, I can't save my kids. Like, I'm parenting sinners. I think that's what... We were talking about at our table up here, but um, I think the middle one, too great out of a desire for control, um, it just made me think a ton. Like, we homeschool our kids, so I really could, I can control a lot, you know? I just, by nature, they're in my house all day long. Um, so it just, it, not that that's necessarily a bad thing, but I just, it gave me a filter of like, am I controlling because I want the control? Um, or is it just a situation that my kids aren't ready to like jump into yet? Um, a little example, I know a lot of us have younger kids, but I know when my kids were, my older kids were younger, people would ask them a question. This is a new one I talked about, but I just was thinking about this this morning. And I would want to talk for them. Like, I want to answer the question for them because they're not talking. This is embarrassing, you know? Um, but just being able to stand there and like, 
like let them struggle for a minute. You know, it might make you look a little bit bad as a parent, but just um, allowing them to talk for themselves and answer for themselves. Um, that was just a little one of like, I want to control what they say, you know, but Sarah just did it this morning with Judah. Judah was sitting there and trying to tell me something about his backpack and like struggling through it. And neither of us knew anything about what he was trying to say. And she just looked at me and she was like, and it was just like her identity isn't resting in how my kid is communicating, you know, and she's okay with him kind of, I don't know, looking a little funny, but I just think that was one thing that I, I talked a lot for my kids, um, wanting to control what they said. Like I said, I could go on for a long time. Yeah, I think another one too, uh, our oldest daughter started playing softball maybe three years ago or so, and we'd go in the backyard, and she'd just absolutely crush the ball. I'm like, yeah, the ball, and she'd just crush it. I mean, I'm like, awesome. This is awesome. This is going to be so fun. Future Olympian. No, just kidding. At the softball uh, game with all these parents. But then she'd met. get in a game, and she literally would just stand there like this. And it'd be like, strike one. She'd watch like, it. She'd even swing. Strike I'm like, three. swing. <laughs> swing the bat. You can't hit the ball if you don't swing the bat. And on the inside, I'm like, oh, I'm on know, fire. Like, swing the bat. And on the outside, we're like, this is really fun, you know. I think uh, I was yelling. You were probably, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but just the, I mean, she was in maybe second grade. And just somehow tying our worth as parents to whether or not she swung a stupid piece of aluminum. And I had, like I said, it's just a filter of like, why is this anger boiling up in me right now? And I thought to myself, is it because I look bad? I look dumb? Or is it because I know her potential? Like, I've watched her in the backyard, and she's standing up there and not swinging the bat. But, man, she's going to learn a ton about, like, performing in a pressured situation. She's going to learn about what it feels like to walk back after being defeated. You know, like, there's a ton that these kids learn from failure, I mean. And we, just as a parent, you want to protect them from that. And I feel myself doing that sometimes. Oh, awesome. Swing the bat. <laughs> Swing the bat. All right. Awesome. Um, here, here's the thing is this chapter is pushing us to ask the question, where do you find your identity? And you can ultimately find it in a lot of things, including your kids and what they do or don't do and how that reflects upon you. But once again, as a parent, as a follower of Christ, if you are one, your identity comes not from anything you do or don't do or any situation you're a part of here on earth. But your identity comes from your faith and hope and confidence in Christ who lived the perfect life that you could never live and he took God's wrath on his shoulders that should have been aimed at us. And he flipped those two things. He took God's wrath and he gave us his perfection. And that's where your worth and that's where your value and that's where your purpose and that's where your identity comes from. And so if you're a follower of Christ, that's true. But we can often resort or kind of default to identity amnesia. So I just want to spend a little bit of time, maybe even in large group discussion, then we'll throw out a couple of ideas. Okay, if, if we know that logically, or at least we have that knowledge in our head, why do we default to some of these things? And so then you got to flip the question around and say, okay, what, what are some practical things we can do to remind ourselves of where our identity actually lies? Because we have to remember, we have to remember, we have to remember. So what does that remembering look like? So if I were to ask, just I, I am asking you, what are some things you can do on a regular basis to prevent identity amnesia? Read the Bible. Yeah, you can regularly spend time in God's word, which will get truth into your mind, and the Holy Spirit can use that to form really your worldview. Yeah, so spend time in God's word. What, what, are, what are some other things potentially to remind yourself and remember where your identity truly lies? Yeah, so you can get encouragement and get challenged by and convicted by other believers who can speak truth into your life. Good. Anybody have anything else? That you would say, Gosh, I have this good is friends a that remind me to be thankful. And I just think, I think one of the things we didn't write up here was he doesn't see good or something. He doesn't see good when it's in front of him. Um, and I just thought to myself, how many times I don't see the good that's right in front of me. God has given me these beautiful little kids, you know, and he's given them to me to raise and get delight out of. Um, not all the time, but I just, I have good friends that are like, what are you thankful for today? And it's like, oh, I don't even want to be thankful. Like, I'm so not thankful right now. But it's just a part of the remembering you know, yep. who is God? What has he given me? What yep. am I thankful for? 
anyone have, have anything else? Like, what can you regularly do to remind yourself of who you are and where your identity truly lies? Yeah. 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 So you're proclaiming the gospel to others and kind of almost indirectly, you're proclaiming it to yourself at the same time and you're reminding yourself of what's true. That's great. Give me maybe one more thing. Do you have something, Aaron? Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, you, you, you were looking at me like, yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> say it, brother. A great conversation with Aaron the, the last Sunday, I think it was, and he was just explaining some situation with, you know, extended family kind of, and just explaining what they were doing. And he's like, there's no playbook. He's like, we don't really know what we're doing. And it's like, it's, it's so true. It just drives you to your knees and you guys are doing a great job. So yep. awesome. Cool. Yeah. I, I mean, I think the thing that I'll add that that maybe kind of fine tunes the, the reading your Bible, just coming up with a handful of passages that continually remind yourself of the gospel. So I think this Jeremiah 17 is one. If you want to write that one down, five through eight. Um, Genesis 127, like you're created in God's image. John 1.12 says that if you put your faith in Christ, you are a child of God. Like you're one of God's children. I mean, that's a huge identity thing. One of my favorite passages is Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And just talks about how we've been brought from death to life through God's grace and mercy. And then verse 10 says, like, you are his workmanship. Like, you're created for good work. Like, part of those good works are being a parent who represents Christ to our kids. 2 Corinthians 5.17, you're a new creation in Christ. I mean, a lot of these passages, they're easy to forget. But if you continually look at those, recite those to yourself, you're grounded daily in your identity, and it's a lot harder to have identity amnesia. So really, just reminding yourself daily of the gospel is a very good practice. Like, I could have the worst day today. I could have the best day today. And because of Christ, God's view of me does not change. Because <laughs> it's grounded in what he's done, not what I do or don't do. Like, that, that is huge. And so we could talk all day, I think, about identity and the importance of it. Um, you guys read the chapter and hopefully picked up a couple of things or maybe even as you were reading some of these things, thought, what do I need to do to not have identity amnesia? And so we're gonna uh, go ahead and move on to chapter 14, which is mercy. And as I was reading the identity chapter, I think I was convicted a little bit, but not a ton. But then I turned to chapter 14. And maybe of any chapter in this book, I was like, oh my gosh, I was talking to Jordan before this. And, and he's just said something along the lines of, the more you get into this material, the more you realize, like, man, like we, we got some work to do. Right? Or this parenting thing is a big deal, and we have to make the most of the opportunity. And that's how I felt after reading chapter 14 on mercy. And so I just want to uh, define mercy really quick. Tenderheartedness and compassion towards someone in need. The principle of this chapter is no parent gives mercy better than the one who's convinced that he or she desperately needs it himself. And so I think we would all agree that our kids sometimes are needy and they need mercy. But it's very important to remember that so are we as 20s and 30s and 40-plus-year-olds. Like we, we need God's mercy just as much as our kids need mercy. And so once again, as we remember our need for God's mercy, this overflows into our parenting and we can be better ambassadors for God to our kids. You've talked about just needy kids oh, sometimes. Yeah. And we talked about this a little at the table yeah. I jumped in too. People often say to me, like, how do you have five? Like, well, how do you do it with five? I have two. And I'm like, my hardest parenting season, Matt would for sure back me on this, it was having one. Like I had one baby. I remember she was six months. And I looked at Matt and I was like, how long before you just 
die of lack of sleep. I just feel like she I, was, I, she I'm was 100% gonna die. Serious. I this, literally this was a serious question. This wasn't funny. I thought I was gonna die because I was so tired. Um, my emotions were all over the place. I felt. I mean, it was partially a lack of control. Like, I couldn't control this situation. I didn't know what this kid... I mean, they cry, they're needy, and they don't even tell you what they need. You have to, like, figure it out, you know? And, oh, man, it was... It so rocked me as a parent. Um, where am I going with this, babe? So, needy kids. So, I think just walking into an expectation of... So, like Matt said, we are needy. Like, if we can remember our need for a savior, like, that's mercy. God has given us mercy in what he did. And out of an overflow of we realize how needy we are, we are able to meet those needs of our kids. And so as we wake up in the morning and we think to ourselves, I am serving needy people. Like, they're needy. Now I not only have one needy baby, I have four bigger kids and a needy baby. Like that was, you would say that was probably the hardest season of having a fifth that's a baby and four other ones. And if you, but honestly, I woke up in the morning and and I wasn't as overwhelmed as I was with one because I knew the needs that were before me that day. I'm like, Kelly, back there with a newborn, you wake up, you don't have a lot of expectations. You're like, I have a lot of needs that I need to meet today. So that rocked me. As a first-time parent, I'm a little lost now. Am I going in the next part or you? I can. So here's the thing, though. I think when we think about, like, needy kids, we, we almost, like, make that a negative thing. Our kids are so needy and they're whiny. and Like, that's, that's probably true. Uh, but I, I love what the author points out. Like, these are what our kids need. Can I read this list, babe? Yeah. Because he just lists them off. He just is like, go. Like, obviously, they need help with, like, little things. But he gives a big list. So things that our kids will need that day. They will need guidance, protection, help, rescue, wisdom, instruction, confrontation, discipline, patience, grace, love, compassion, support, provision. And I mean, he just, like, lists them off. So it's like if I can wrap my head around the fact that, okay, they're needy just like I'm needy, like I'm going back to that all the time, I am needy, they're needy, and I get an opportunity to be a tool in the hands of God to meet some of those needs. Awesome. So it really is, like it's, it's having accurate expectations, and then it's realizing like you have a choice on how you respond to various situations. You really do. And your day is made up literally of several, tens, hundreds sometimes of choices on how to respond to various things your kids do and say. And once again, going back to the first chapter, we are ambassadors of God to our kids. So we're, we're going to uh, maybe challenge you a little bit and or make you see your need for God's mercy even more by this question. If God responded to your sin the way that you responded to your child's sin, what would his response look like? So this is almost a uh, mercy meter for how you're doing as, as a parent. So spend some time at your tables answering this question. All right. Let's bring it back together. Here's the thing. I, I don't know about you. Um, and it's almost comical, maybe. You know, some of the descriptors that we use to answer this question. Like somebody at our table said, it's like lightning bolts. You know, like you're the lightning bolt thrower. It's like, man. But, but we are often that. And for whatever reason, if you're anything like me, you quickly forget the mercy God has shown you. And you just kind of erase that in your mind. And then you become a judgmental, problem-fixing, quick-acting parent to your kids immediately. So once again, this chapter is challenging us to not do that, but to reflect the mercy that God has shown us to our kids. I love this quote on page 195. Your pri- and this was convicting. Your primary calling as a parent is not first to represent God's judgment, but rather to constantly, constantly deliver his mercy, which I think is awesome. You were listening to a podcast. Here's where this quote comes in. Yeah, and I think, just even sitting at our table, I think we think as a parent, like if I don't, we called it throw a lightning bolt. Like when it's like they went over the edge, I'm going to lose control. This is going to be chaos here. Like I have to control this. Um, and so that's, that's an interesting thought because as I read this chapter, I have watched discipline just work so well in my home and create a home full of peace um, and a, a loving discipline. So I have feared this chapter being like, we're going to all walk out of here thinking we're just going to give our kids a bunch of mercy and they can do whatever they want. But 
as you read it and as you think that through, that's not mercy. It's not mercy to not discipline your kids in a loving and kind and gentle way. Like, that's loving. That's what God does for us. Um, But this quote that, this rocked my parenting because it will rock your every moment of parenting during the day as, as you filter it through this. But I just think of all the things that my kids say and do that are interruptions and inconveniences in my life. I just, every time you get out the door, try to get out the door with little ones, there's something, you know, there's two kids that are crying. I'm like, you're crying. We have to be there in five minutes and you're crying and you don't have your coat on, you don't have your shoes on. And it's like, I am worried about being there on time when actually here's an opportunity. Here's a need. These kids are needy kids, just like I'm needy. Like, well, that's, that's my filter. Just like I'm needy, these kids are needy kids. And now I have an opportunity to be a tool in the hands of God to meet a need in a mercy-filled way. Um, so this is, uh, this is how he's reshaped my thinking about meeting those needs during the day. Paul David Tripp said this in a podcast. He said, if your eyes ever see, I wish I had it written down, but I, I don't. If your eyes ever see or your ears ever hear the sin, weakness, and failure of your children... So if you ever hear something, if you ever see something, that's the sin, weakness, and failure of your children. It's never an accident. It's never a hassle. It's never an interruption. It's always grace. So it's never an accident. I'm not looking at that as a hassle. I'm not looking at this as an interruption. It is, it feels like an interruption, but this is parenting. It's never an interruption. It's always grace. And here's why it's grace. God loves those children. And as an act of his love, he has put them in a family of faith. And he will reveal the need of those children to you. So he's showing you their need. He will reveal the need of those children to you so you can be a tool of his rescue and restoration. Praise God, what a gorgeous plan. So if you can just see those needs as not a hassle, not an accident, and not an interruption, instead of grace, that God has put those kids in a family of faith and given them a parent to show them an invisible God. They're little. They cannot understand the abstractness of God. He's giving them a visible picture and using you as a tool. You're not their savior, but using you as a tool to meet those needs. And if you can just see their needs from that perspective, it's gonna, it, it, will, it rocks my parenting. Um, and when you look back at however many years you've had kids, that's all the parenting is. It's not an event. It's not like at five o'clock on Tuesday, we're going to be good parents. You know, it is a string of interruptions and interactions and needs and tears and untied shoes and poopy pants and just all those strung together. And then all of a sudden they're grown. So that's all you have is those little interruptions that we feel like are inconveniences, yeah, so I could go for a long time on that. He goes on to say, every time I exercise authority in the life of my children, it must be a beautiful picture of the authority of God. So once again, all those little interactions over the course of time do one of two things. They either paint over time a picture of God's mercy and grace to them, or they paint a picture of the opposite of that. Every single time, day after day, moment after moment, the decisions you make, the choices you make, how you interact with your kids. This is what rocked me. How you interact with, with your kids is constantly painting a picture to them of who God is, good or bad. Like that's a heavy thing, but an exciting thing to think about when you have that opportunity day after day after day. So obviously we need God's mercy. Our kids need our mercy. And we as parents have the unique opportunity, responsibility, burden, whatever word you want to use to respond to their needs in a way that will ideally show them the character of God. That's a cool thing when you stop and think about it. And I also noticed too, and you realize it, it, it just takes time. There's a lot of time that goes into parenting. And sometimes we just don't want to take the time um, so, yeah, we're going to kind of go through this list, right, babe? Is that yeah. where we're going? So I think it's good to accurately define mercy. So if you want to turn to page 197, and if you haven't underlined this, highlighted it, started, whatever, I would encourage you to do so. Um, just for time's sake, I'm not going to read through all of these, but like Emily was saying earlier, we might have an incorrect idea of what mercy is. And so starting in the first full paragraph of 197, 
he just says, this is what mercy is not. It's not wishy-washy. It's not letting down your standards. It's not acting like bad things are okay. It doesn't mean you quit holding God's law. I mean, it, this is a pretty good act, description of what mercy is not, right? So then he goes on to say, this is what mercy is. Mercy is parenting with a tender heart. It's about blessing your children with your patience. It's about being firm and unyielding, yet loving at the same time. It means allowing your heart not to grow bitter or cold. I mean, he just keeps, keeps on going. And I, I would encourage you to reread this a few times and just get a clear picture of here's what mercy is not. Get any accurate description or definition you might have out of your head. And just see, here's what mercy is on a regular basis to your kids. And I, I love his comment at the end, top of page 198. Mercy means that every action, reaction, and response towards your children is tempered and shaped by tenderness, understanding, compassion, and love. Parenting is a lifelong mission of humbly, joyfully, and willingly giving mercy. And that quote absolutely rocked me because the way that I tend to approach problems, I'm a fairly patient guy, typically, but when I'm interrupted, right, by a needy child, my first response typically is, how do I, as quickly as possible, fix this problem? You crapped your pants? Let's fix it. Right? Your brother you took something this, from you? You did this. You threw that. You, let's, let's fix it and resolve the issue immediately. Sometimes at the expense of showing mercy and being a good representative of Christ's love and mercy to you. And just seeing it as a teachable moment. Yeah, and then slowing down and seeing it as a teachable moment and modeling what true grace and mercy looks like. And granted, there are times where it's like, now's not a good time, sweetheart. Like, that's okay to say that. Like, I'm in a conversation with an adult. You are interrupting me. Like, that's not, that's not merciful to help their kid, your kid think they're the center of your life either. So obviously, there is reasonable ways to do this. But this list was super helpful. Are you going to go there? Yep. So... He kind of said, okay, so what, what does this look like? He does a pretty good job starting on page 201. And we don't have this on slides because... Because it's in your book eh. and it'd be super long. Okay, good. So, and because we tweaked this after we turned slides We on. had to turn slides on Thursday. Let's just be real, man. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, is there any way? Nah, we'll just go for it. But starting on page 200, like responses of mercy. So, so this is what mercy can look like, and this is how you can actually cultivate responses of mercy. We're, just, we're not going to read all of these, but at the start of every paragraph, there's like an italicized action, and so we're just going to go through a couple of them, I think, that kind of stand out to us and say what this looks like. So for me, look for every opportunity to shower your children with grace. Once again, like I said, I often move to like fix the problem immediately. Something's wrong, let's make it right. And I need to continually remind myself and slow down. I have an opportunity, whether it takes 30 seconds or 30 minutes, to rescue, to restore, to help, to forgive my kid and accurately model the same rescue, restoration, help, and forgiveness Christ has shown me. So just slowing down and looking at every sin, every issue, every problem through that lens is huge. Yeah, the second one, you can flip through them, but it's be careful to help your children see the heart behind the behavior. So almost all the time, the behavior that's coming out isn't the heart that's behind it. So I ask, I, I mean, I'm doing this all the time in my parenting. I'm figuring out the why behind what they're doing. Like, why did you do that? Why do you feel like this? Is there something else going on? I think, you know, as my kids get older, it's not so obvious as in like they're just tired, you know? It's like, what, what else is going on? There's something else going on because this is not like you. So just trying to discover the heart behind their behavior. So I'm always talking about their heart. Yeah. One of them was point your kids every day to Jesus. So I think inherent is that, is that you are pointing yourself every day to Jesus. Like you're reminding yourself of the gospel. You're spending time in prayer. You're spending time in his word. And then the overflow of that is it's constantly on your mind. Therefore, you can point your kids to Christ. And that might be talking about how wonderful God is or what you learned in his word that day or what you're praying for or how you saw God at work. It might be, hey, dad did this dumb thing today. I'm asking Christ for forgiveness. It might be getting on your knee, eye level with the five-year-old, and saying, dad was wrong, will you please forgive me? But modeling that stuff is huge. 
Yeah, and there's a couple there that just go together, but just willingly confessing your faults. You saying that reminds me of a couple weeks ago, Matt coached as a fifth grade football team, third grade, he's third grade, third grade football team. And he got a little caught up in the game and you yelled at Elliot kind of, or you told him something you did so, wrong. Or yeah. I don't so, really remember exactly what happened. I understand most of the time that third grade sports are third grade sports and most of them are going to be in the NFL. Okay. But there's Sometimes, a few things though, that drive you crazy. I get competitive and there's things that drive me crazy. And uh, I just remember, and I still, I'm sure Elliot remembers this too. It's burned in my mind. But he, he was playing kind of defensive end and let a guy around him, which you're not supposed to do that, right? You're supposed to force everything back to the middle. And I just looked at him and I said, that's your guy. Like, that's all that I said. But the look that I had in my eyes, I could tell immediately he was just, like, defeated. It's a stupid football game, and they're in third grade. All right, but, buddy, I'm so sorry. Dad overreacted. I was wrong. Will you please forgive me? Yeah, I remember that day. Um, God, I have so much to say. Let's keep going, though. So, willingly confess your thoughts. Um, Oh, man, root all that you require, say, and do in the wonderful wisdom of Scripture. He noted here that if you're not rooting your parenting in Scripture, what you will root it in is what you know. And so what you're going to do then is just create little clones of yourself. And I'm like, ooh, that's an ugly thought, you know? So you need to root what you're doing in Scripture, which allows your kids to be who God made them to be. I think about as my kids grow, I'm like, do I know how God has bent them? Like, that kid's a little different than that kid. And do you know your kid's strengths? Do you know your kid's love languages? Like, have you studied them to know those things? Um, so just raising them in a way that is rooted in Scripture. Like, that's your umbrella. You know, it's not like you be like me. That's a scary thought. So it's just root them in the umbrella of Scripture. Don't treat opportunities like hassles. We've talked a lot about that. Slow to anger and quick to forgive. Um, I will say, slow to anger and quick to forgive I strongly believe you should never parent in anger. If you have an anger building up inside of you, the best thing to do is just to not parent. Not parent at all. Walk away in that moment. Um, I know a lot of people will put their kids up on their bed and just walk out of the room. Like never parent and never discipline when there's an anger filling up inside of you. And if that means you just have to, sweetheart, mom is angry. Like I need to walk away. I'll be back in a couple minutes and just get your mind together. Um, so walk away from those angered situations. And he used the words kind discipline and gentle correction. So discipline is merciful. It is merciful to discipline your kids in a kind and gentle way. Okay, I have complete control over my control, household control over my kids, but it's, it's not loud. It's just consistent. So if I've said we're not going to eat a donut at church today and we get to church and now they're screaming for a donut, I don't give in to the donut. That's not merciful because I have said something and I need to follow through with that. If they don't, I just think of God in his word. Like if he doesn't follow through with his promises, scripture, it, nothing matters. Like if God doesn't follow through with what he said, nothing matters. And I need to do that in my parenting. So it's not merciful for me to give into the moment because that's what they want. But it is merciful for me to be gentle and quiet and consistent and firm and unyielding. Um, but just do that in a calm way. Like I am in control of that. Um, so don't parent in anger and be quick to forgive. Awesome. Anything else, babe? Pray before, during, and after. Oh, do these things over and 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 over again. This is probably the hardest thing Matt gets home, and I'm like, I feel like it's a Groundhog Day. I do the same thing every, when they're little especially, you do the same every single day, and I get so tired of it. Um, but it is God's mercy that you willingly and lovingly do. You cook breakfast every day. You clean up breakfast every day. You take them to school. You do this. You do that every single day. And you don't hang that over their head. Like, that's, that's really merciful as a parent. Guys, we have a ton more to say. Uh, we don't have time to say it all. He's like, wrap it up, babe. Yeah, no. So, so here's, here's just, I want to leave you with a couple thoughts. And then we might do something a little bit different. We'll pray, and then we'll officially dismiss you. And then if this at all interests you, Great. If everyone walks out of the room, we can take a hint, okay? We'll just go get another uh, coffee. Yeah, so we're like, this coffee. could be really embarrassing. But uh, we are willing to make ourselves available. Once again, we're not experts, but we've parented a little bit, and I think we've learned some things by doing stupid things and also maybe some good things. So we're going to cover a couple things. We're going to pray. We're going to dismiss you. And then if anyone wants to stick around for a little Q&A, feel free. If everyone leaves, we'll hang out together.
That sound good? I like you. <laughs> All right. I like you. Awesome, awesome. Hey, here's a couple closing thoughts. Uh, I think any time in life you have a long-term view of anything, it's going to be better than a short-term view. And that's true with parenting as well. You got to think long-term. You got to do the hard things right now that will yield results later on. And so the long-term fight is worth it. Keep fighting. You are God's ambassadors to your kids. You have an amazing opportunity, big picture, but also every single day to be that for your kids. And if you find your identity in Christ and you're fully aware of God's mercy and your need for that, you're going to be a much better parent. And so aside from any tips or tricks or anything, those two things are foundational to you as a follower of Christ, but also to you as a parent. And just one more thing I think is incredible. Like, we sometimes see our kids as burdens, possibly, but they're huge blessings. And this quote teases out why in one regard. It says, God uses the needs of our children to expose how needy we are as their parents. Like, that's true. When I parent my kids and I'm frustrated or angry or short-tempered or whatever the case may be, it's like holding a giant mirror up in front of me saying, you need a savior. Like that's a big deal. And so our kids are continually reminding us of how needy we are. And this is a cool too. God's working on you through your children so that he can work through you for your children. That's an awesome quote. I absolutely love that. Um, I want to close in prayer, but I just want to say thank you so much for being here this morning, for not only being parents or soon-to-be parents, but wanting to be God-honoring parents and wanting to do the hard things day after day after day, minute after minute after minute that will, as much as humanly possible, you can't save them, but you can point to the one who will and can save them. So keep doing that. Keep fighting. Keep working hard. If you're married, keep encouraging each other. I think that's a big deal. And if you're single or you have a significant other who isn't in this as much as you are, there's other men and women who would love to come alongside you and help you in that and encourage you. And so seek that out. Because we have an awesome responsibility opportunity as parents to be ambassadors of Christ to our kids. So let me pray. I got... I don't know. I think we could talk about this forever um, and share all the little things and nuances that we do. Uh, but ultimately, you've called us to find our identity in you. And you've called us to point others to your truth and to your gospel and to model and display what your grace and your mercy has done for us, looks like in our lives. And we as parents have the unique opportunity to be missionaries in our own home, to make disciples of our kids, to proclaim and demonstrate the gospel to them on a daily basis, Lord. And ultimately, we could be the worst parents in the whole entire world, and yet somehow by your grace, our kids might become followers of you. And we could be the best parents in the whole entire world, but for some reason, they might not follow you, Lord. And so we just ask for your mercy in our lives as parents. And we also ask that you would just reveal yourself to our kids, that our kids would give their lives, surrender their lives to you, that they would live um, a life that matters, that counts, that proclaims your word to those around them, Lord. I pray that we can cultivate an environment where you and your truth are just constantly talked about. God, but as parents, we need your help. Because if we hold up a mirror, it's clear to see all the ways we fall short. And that's why we find our identity in you and not in anything that we do. And that's why we continually need your mercy in our lives. Jesus, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. So they should not feel bad at all about walking out right now. And that'd be great. Yes. If go everyone f- walks out, that is 100% okay. Yeah. But if you want to flesh some of this stuff out and have some thoughts, Sarah, you have a thought. Yeah, yes. go ahead. Oh, the podcast. Oh, I have anxiety about it. Give me grace. 
Very good. Running deep and with this Emily. equipping podcasts are online too. If you go to the website, if you've yep. missed a week, so. All right, so thanks for coming, those of you. And if you want to stay, come on up, or just stay where you're at. I guess. Two minutes, babe. Two minutes before Q and A. Three. You gotta go bathroom or what? Oh, he's got. He drank like way too much water and coffee. Hey, guys, I didn't do any resources. This is the only resource I have. We use the Children's Storybook Bible at our house. The only thing that has stuck in our house is to, like, read the Bible. Like, we've done other things, but, eh, they've kind of come and gone. This is, like, a good transition Bible if you have older kids. It's still a storybook Bible. It's broken up. I have loved reading it to my kids. I just think the best thing you can do for them is read them God's Word and give them a big picture of the Bible. And this has been really a good one for us. So if you want to look at it, it's kind of a good transition between the storybook Bible, but they're not, you're not feeling like they can quite take the big Bible yet. It's called the Child's Story Bible. Voss is the last name of the author. And scripture memory, you'd be amazed at how much your kids can memorize way more than you and me. All right, hey, we're gonna go ahead and get rolling here. Feel free to leave at any time. Once again, we're not like overly wise, but we've maybe have some experience where we can even kind of say some things back to you and throw it up for discussion. So. Yeah, and I just think like as the morning went through, like, is there any thoughts that you had or like, man, I I I get what you're saying, but what does that actually look like? Maybe some stuff like that. Yeah. Throw that stuff out yeah. there. So thoughts, insights, questions. Does anything come to mind? Yes. like, how do I get out of here? Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Every mom is like, I so yeah. feel that. She's, so, look, she's looking right at me, babe, because yeah. she knows that I yeah. deal with this You did all not the look time. at me at all. So <laughs> how, how do you deal with, with the anxiety of a public meltdown? And you're probably in public with our kids more than myself. Oh, Yeah. I'd say go in public a lot, first of all. Like, don't be afraid to take them because they learn how to be in public by going in public. Like, I take my five kids to the grocery store. We drive two little fairway carts and a big cart. Like, that's what we look like when we go through the grocery store. I set them up well. Like, I tell, give them expectations going in there. This is what this is going to look like. This is how we're going to get out of here. Um, there's never, like, a... I'm so, like... If you're good, you can pick out a candy bar at the aisle. You know, like there's just, you're good because that's the expectation of being at Fairway. Like that's just what, that's just the expectation in our family. And so there might be some like restructuring in that department, but it is just, it is patience. It is, I mean, getting worked up myself isn't going to help them. So I'm trying to think of a practical example of a kid getting worked up. So we tipped a full-size cart at Fairway one time. At the meat department, I had one kid. Thankfully, I was wearing my baby. Like, she wasn't in the cart. The other kid had climbed up on the side of the cart, and the whole big cart flipped over, and my blueberries went flying all over the, the aisle. And so in my head, I'm thinking to myself, this wasn't intentional. Nobody, like, the, what's the heart behind that behavior? Nobody meant to do anything here. Um, so that reaction was different okay, we're all okay. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for all these kind people that are helping me pick up my blueberries and the one lady that told me I should go back and get a new thing of blueberries because mine are dirty. Um, and just being thankful that they were safe and we just moved on. There wasn't any, I wasn't mad at anyone, um, but we learned. Nobody ever climbs on the side of a cart or really on the cart at all. You know, so you learn from things, but like thinking about what's the heart behind the behavior. All I have to say though, our kids aren't perfect and they have had meltdowns. That's what I'm saying. So now I've got an issue of a kid throwing a fit because he isn't getting what he wants. That's a hard issue. Like, I deserve whatever. And so now, I mean, I'm not, you, you cannot give into it. Like, that's, I mean, our littlest, he's used to getting mints in the aisle now. And I'm like, who started this? And so he has Dad. had meltdowns at the aisle and in the checkout area. And how do I handle this? There are times where we walk out of the store. Like, we've done that before. We leave our groceries and we go because I'm not going to discipline my kid in the middle of the aisle and I cannot calmly explain to him how to get out of here well. Like, so we just pick up our things and I tell the lady, my cart's right there, I got to go, and we have left. It doesn't take too many times to do that. You know, there's a you just have to kind of do that a couple times before they realize, like, mom actually means when I said, I mean, it is all about follow through, buddy. If you don't, I'm, this is what mommy's asking you to do. I can't tell you to do anything. I'm down on his level. I can't tell you 
I can't even explain anything to you until you've calmed down. So my first job is to help us both calm down. We're not gonna parent in this moment right here. We're gonna calm down first. That's always, I mean, even at home, I'm like, we just calm, we calm down. That's the first thing we do. And then we have our conversation. And if I can't get there, then we, we need to probably leave, you know? But there hasn't been a lot of times we've gotten there. That only takes a couple times. And I honestly I think, too, uh, I mean, it really does come back to what we talked about today. Because if your anxiety comes from the fact that everyone in here is looking at me and they all think I'm a crappy parent, it's like, who cares? If they've never been a parent, they're not going to understand. If they've been a parent, chances are they're going to be able to empathize with you. That's a great perspective to have. I have that a lot. If they're not understand, then they either didn't have kids or they didn't raise them, like themselves or something. Like that, that, there's just no way. But I've also asked for help from people. Hey, can you hold a kid while I get this one back into the cart and strapped in? Like God has provided me so many strangers along the way of like getting myself head deep in situations at the pool. I'm like, oh my word, how did my kids not drown? Like, why did I take them to the pool? But I do because you have to keep living, you know? Like you take them to the pool, you take them to this and that. And I take them to all my doctor's appointments because they need to learn that how you function shots in public. Okay. Oh man, that was that was a bad idea. We all, I mean, I, we all got I, I shots really on more, the same more of an idea. Like, it's, why am I so anxious now? Yeah. Like that, you have to answer that fundamental question first. And if it's because I feel like everyone's looking at me and think that I'm like terrible parents, like, so, so what? You know, that's not true, right? And does your identity come from how people view you or do you have security in something way deeper than that. Yeah. So I think it's built mainly like give them good expectations going into something. Calm them down before you parent them. Don't ever parent out of anger. And I don't discipline in public usually. Like unless, I mean, I wait, would wait till we get home and then follow through with whatever you told them you were going to do. Like if I'm going to take you, to, I'm going to take you to the car. Well, then take them to the car if they didn't the first time. You know, not the third time, but the first time. I mean, they'll learn that you actually mean what you say. Awesome. Anyone have anything else? Yeah. Yeah, there are some times where, like, I get home and it's clear, like, all right, I'm, I'm on. Yeah, this is, and you, I mean, I think since our kids have gotten a little bit older, it, it isn't as free, but it, it, there's times where I've come home and it's been, you, you've almost, like, hand the stuff off, right, which is totally fine. Um, I think for, for us, uh, our first two kids, I would say, really puffed our chest up as far as being prideful parents because they just obeyed most of the time. So we're like, we are killing this thing. Like, we are awesome parents. And then we had kids three and four who just said, no. Or do and this. And they looked at each other like, well, what do we do now? Yeah, like, this They this aren't sitting in a timeout <laughs> yeah. for an hour and, oh, and we're it, not, it wraps We are up. stronger than you and you're only, you know. Uh, but, I mean, honestly, there, there's quite a few good resources. We listened to a Piper, I don't know if it's a talk, podcast, whatever, a long time ago about discipline and the heart behind it. That, that was reorienting for us. Um, Shepherding a Child's Heart is good. Dobson has some good books, you know. But I think ultimately seeing discipline as a redeeming thing and having a long-term view of it and not the short-term view of you acted up, I'm angry, boom, we're bringing the hammer down, yeah. right? And so I think, I mean, follow-through is a big thing in discipline. Like, you have to actually do what you said you're going to do, Um we did get changed at child number three. I couldn't understand, and I don't know if we want to go here, but, like, I couldn't understand with spanking. Like, I, how are they going to know not to hit someone else? Like, I, nobody could answer that question for me. Um, but my mind got changed a little bit. It was actually after listening to a Ask Pastor John. But um, I just would encourage you for your discipline. Um, what I really enjoyed about the way we ended up disciplining our kids was, uh, first of all, it was calm. It wasn't in anger. It's out of love. It's a change of heart that I'm shooting for. Um, and it's quick. So it's over. Mommy forgives you. It's okay. We're done. It's over. It's not this 
time out that's kind of still looming. Are we still mad at each other? I'm not sure. Like, I didn't like that. Like, that felt, like, exhausting to me. And exhausting the kid to know it's not over. Like, this is done. The punishment is paid for. It's over. Like, let's move on. And um, so I really, that was really helpful for me because I kind of felt like I was always in this middle zone of, like, are you still in trouble or not? Um, Oh, man, there's something else I was going to say about that. Oh, the other thing is I also didn't want Matt... um, to come home after being gone all day and to be a disciplined parent right away, all the time. There are days where I'm like, oh, I can't do this anymore. But as I matured in my parenting, I tried to take care of what I could before he got home. I would really love to set my home up in a way that when Matt gets home, that stuff's over. Now, granted, there are times here and there where he was helpful in that. And when he is home, I really do try to, as much as I can, hey, babe, can you take care of this one? Hey, Matt. And sometimes not being around as much as I am during the day, you don't even see an issue that's happening because you're just not as in tune to it as I am. And I could be mad about that or I could be like, Matt, this kid's angry at that kid because of this and that one has needs a heart change. Like, so can you take care of that? Nope. So I, setting him up yeah. well, I guess. And I, I think that the biggest thing too is just, I mean, once again, it's like, why, why am I doing this? Yeah. Is it like immediate retaliatory action towards a behavior? Or is it, no, 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 like redemption, restoration, you did something wrong. There's consequences to that. But then in that calmly, clearly explaining the gospel and then yeah. boom, it's over. I'm, I'm not holding this over. Hey, do you remember two weeks ago when you blah, 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 blah? No, like, you did this, there's discipline, it's over. Yeah. And there's discipline, we could talk all morning about it, because it is so important to get it right as much as you can. Um, I had a really great conversation with Paul Sabino once, because I had a kid that was not telling the truth. She was lying about things, and I couldn't figure out how to, how do I discipline her? I kind of think she's lying, but I didn't see it, and I can't quite figure out what's true or not. Um, But in my parenting experience, lying is the most important thing. Like, I need to get past that before even a behavior thing. But if they tell the truth, then they had terrible behavior. So do I discipline the behavior? Like, I don't, I don't know how to parent through this. So I remember talking to Paul and being like, she doesn't want to tell the truth because then do I, do I then discipline that? Or am I celebrating the fact that she told me the truth? And um, so I was walking through this with my oldest one time when she was little, and she ended up telling me the truth. And Paul's like, well, your goal is a heart change. And she had a heart, if you can see a heart change in that, I, did, I didn't tell the truth, mom, here's the truth, here's what happened. And like, when? Like, there was a heart change there. Like, that's always my filter. Um, so you can say things too. I've done this before of like, well, before you were going to get this discipline, but now since you told me the truth, you know, you can frame it up that way too. But I just think telling the truth is a really, really big deal. Yeah. You work really hard. I had this in my house the other day. I, can I have a mint, mommy? You just had, you already had one. No, I didn't. And another kid said, she did. I saw her and I didn't see it. And her eyes go to the kid and was like, she was giving her the evil eye of like, how are you telling on me, you know, my mom? And I asked her a couple times. I said, here's your chance. You get, you get one chance to tell me the truth. The next word's out of your mouth. There's your chance. And she told me the same thing. She didn't have a mint. I was like, breathe on me. Like, I'm going to work really hard to figure out if you're telling the truth, which takes time. It interrupted me. Um, but in my opinion, telling the truth is really important. And there's times where I don't figure it out. But you can go to them later, too, one-on-one, and say, I really need to know what happened. Like, I'm not mad at you. I need to know what happened. And sometimes you never get to the end of it. But it's important to try. That's a great question. Because I hate that. I'm like, oh, I don't know. But they'll know that mom's going to work hard. So that helps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anything else, guys? Awesome. Well, hey, good. just just know that Emily and I are available. I didn't, Matt often. kept saying when we were setting this up too, like, what's their takeaway? And I kept thinking the takeaway is just this filter that you're starting to gain of like how you parent and how you make decisions. Two people this morning said they've made behavior changes because of a filter. One was he's switching classes that he's teaching downstairs. You know, that was like a simple change, but he's like, it's because of things I've learned in here that I thought I should be over there, not over here. So I thought that was pretty cool. Cool. Awesome, guys. Hey, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Appreciate your time. It's a wrap. It's a wrap.